0: you have this power of the divine within you and it's something to be exercised with a lot of care a lot of grace a lot of humility and a lot of practice the power that these practices bring is really quite unparalleled and i feel that this is an important experience and story to share now as what inspired actually me to write this book
1: Before we jump into this episode, I'd love to invite you to join this Candid Spiritual Community to hear more conversations that will help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. All I want you to do is click on that subscribe button because I love your support. I love seeing all the comments pouring through, all the love pouring through, and we're just getting started. I can't wait to go on this journey with you, whether you're a spiritual seeker or you're just curious about the topic, and we really hope that our conversations will provide you food for thought and inspiration for your own spiritual journey. So join us for honest, candid discussions about spirituality, for soul's sake. For soul's sake. For soul's sake. For soul's sake. Today I'm joined by the one, the only, Ananta Reepa Ajmera. She brought a copy of the book for me, so we want to get into that too. But. Those of you that know me know I'm a free-flow specialist. I never come with an agenda to the conversation. So I'm gonna to turn to you, Ananda, and just first of all say thank you for coming. But what do you want to talk about?
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm great honor. Open to the flow. Yeah. Let's just see where it takes us.
1: See where it takes <laughs> us. Let's let's maybe go down the way of the goddess. What what's the book about? What's the inspiration behind it? What's the message? Give us a little bit about it.
0: Sure. The way of the goddess is a spiritual hero's journey from a divine feminine perspective. It's my own personal blueprint of transformation that has helped me make so many changes in my life that I could have never imagined making. Mm -hmm. It is the journey, the process, the protocol or methodology by which I have been able to overcome all forms of abuse, lots of trauma, eating disorders, codependency patterns, and to really reverse the script of my own karma so that I feel that I am now authoring the script of my own life's journey. And that's the power I wanted to, I felt called rather, to be able to share with anyone who is seeking that authority over their own life and that ability to take whatever difficulties have come into your life and really be able to not only accept that it's there or that it happened, but to actually work with it in such a way that you can make it into your medicine Mm -hmm. that actually serves you on your journey to moksha.
1: Give me an example of what goddess in particular helps with what? And say, for example, I don't know, you mentioned eating disorders. Yes. Give me a little... (laughs) Give me a little substance on that.
0: Shall we go into that let's get into it. That's probably the one I experienced the strongest the really? first time I went through this journey of Navaratri. I am really fortunate to have studied Ayurveda, Yoga, and Vedanta in a couple of different lineage traditions. I've also studied very deeply uh, Swami Parthasarthi's Vedanta teachings, and they have all been so transformational. I loved learning about Navratri in particular, as mm-hmm. not just Garba, Ras, Dandiya. That you know, us Gujaratis yeah. are really big we're into. We're connecting on
1: the Gujarati vibe here. <laughs> Both of us are Gujarati, and we're loving it. So yes, <laughs> Navratri is more than Dandiya.
0: It's that, and actually, there's so much depth of meaning even in Dandiya and Garba that I never knew mm. prior to asking the question. What is this all about? And having this intuition even when I was really young in the Hindu temples, that I don't understand this right now. I kind of have to say no to this right now because I don't understand it, living in Toledo, Ohio, as one of very few Indian girls growing up. But I know somewhere deep down this is powerful, and I'm going to be back, and this is going to become an important part of my life's work and mission. You
1: knew at that time.
0: I knew then, but I didn't know anything more than that, right? right? How to
1: express it, the information.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, so then I flash forward many years to college and suddenly I go to a yoga class in the middle of New York City just to deal with my stress of being a college student in a big city that came from a small town, from being there for the first time not knowing how to handle myself. It was so interesting to go into the yoga studio and hear all the sanskrit chants i grew up listening to and to smell the incense and to feel as though i was in some kind of a hindu temple but it was in new york and it mm. was with a lot of people from a lot of different cultures and the first class they were talking about how yoga is preparing us to serve and that is this was at
1: something... broom street by the way
0: this was on um this was Jeeva Mukti. Jeeva
1: Mukti. Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. They well, were...
1: unfortunately closed down over the COVID period. Yes. But they're back via Suk and Rima. Shout out, Rima. I don't know if you're going to watch this, but shout out to you. I love you. <laughs> I okay.
0: used to go to her classes. Really? Reema yeah. West?
1: She's incredible. It was
0: around the corner from the business school where I studied as an undergraduate. At that time, I think it was on 4th Street and mm-hmm. Broadway. So it was really convenient to go there. And I just felt really drawn back to my roots and back to India and mm. I think those classes really inspired me to relook at everything then. like and what was Nafratri and who were those goddesses? And so the first time when I uh, got back from going to India for a six-month pilgrimage after college, I got introduced to this lineage based tradition of Ayurveda, yoga, Vedanta, where they take you on a journey of Navratri as an internal sadhana. Each day of the Navratri journey actually takes you into an exploration of the nine chakras, in which different avatars of goddess Durga are believed to live, and they correspond with different spiritual superpowers. So on the first day, we are introduced to Durga Devi as the mother of Earth, right? Mother mm, Nature. Mm. She is the grounding influence. She is the power of stability in our root chakra. And once we have grounded ourselves on this path, and that's actually the hardest step, is to even get on the path because, right. you know, it's just difficult to be able to remove yourself from the world of distractions. The and, rat race. Yeah, right? The illusions, The all of it, to then surrender and say, I accept that there has to be something more than Mm -hmm. just this material reality. And it causes us to have to let go of a lot of the things that we're attached to for our identity in order to make that search within. So I feel that that's actually the bravest step of all. And it's Mother Earth, right? So that's about the Earth element. It's about grounding. It's about getting our feet onto the path itself. Mm -hmm. And then once we have our feet on the path, then introduced to Durga as Devi Brahmacharini, and she is teaching us the Brahmacharya protocol, which I feel is really important to start sharing about in modern spirituality. I feel...
1: Tell the viewers that don't know what Brahmacharya is, what is that?
0: Yeah, so Brahmacharya, a lot of people have misunderstandings about. They think it's just complete abstinence, total celibacy, and that it's only for monks. But actually, Brahmacharya is the foundation of the whole practice of yoga. Mm -hmm. And I feel that in the modernization of things, a lot of the ancient teachings get left out, right? And they're replaced by what's more modern and alluring and attractive and like, let's take some stuff and let's remove some others and just make it kind of a modern thing. But I feel that really understanding Brahmacharya and ...practicing it, it really brings about the alchemical, transformative power of these practices yeah. because it's for everyone to be able to have a stable mind, to be able to not get overcome by emotions, right? To be able to channel all of our creative and sexual energy into the pursuit of the higher, and to be able to be a master of our senses rather than a certain... Of Of the the senses. senses, Right? It's so, so important. And I love that you're wearing this mala because... Mm.
1: Just got it a few days ago. I was in Brindavan. Just got it.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Because Devi Brahmacharini is having two weapons that don't maybe look like weapons. One is what you're wearing, a Jaffa Mala, Mm. and she's Mm. holding it. And that is one of the wonderful practices of Brahmacharya, to be able to move the anxiety that we have, right? And actually chant mantras Mm. on a mala and be able to get transformed by the power of those ancient syllables Um, and the transformative healing potencies that are latent within them, which, you know, you're always activating in your kirtans, Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful, and it's an important daily practice to be able to purify our minds and to be able to really practice that restraint, which actually, ironically, leads to greater enjoyment. So I think a lot of times people throw brahmacharya to the side because they're like, no enjoyment, doesn't sound good, like, I don't want this. But in actuality, it's only when you have control over your senses that you can actually enjoy your senses. And it's only when you have that feeling of being in the driver's seat of your mind and your emotions and your sexuality and your choices around all of this that you can actually benefit from those choices. Yeah. So in our tradition, there's no shame around sexuality. We are the culture, obviously, that gave birth to Kama Sutra as well. But in order for that to be a sacred experience, there needs to be a lot of discernment around it, around the who, the what, the when, the how. And I think those questions people are not being taught to ask. Yeah. And therefore, there's a lot of Abuse of this energy, right? And miscommunication and just so much emotional investment into it that really can pull us off of the spiritual path, even though we may feel that we're fully on it because we're immersed into it. Mm. So that's why I feel that this gives us huge power, you know, over the whole ocean of emotion to be able to channel our energy into something higher. Mm. And, So that itself could be a whole book and a whole kind of exploration, right? It's huge.
1: The mentality of celibacy, the mentality of being a student. Yeah. Like, you know, when I was younger in my practice of the understanding of the Vedas, then um, I also was understood that, you know, the ashram of brahmacharya is only a small period of your life. But actually, on exiting that period, in one sense, when I entered into the grahasta ashram, mm-hmm. entered into household ashram, so brahmacharya is typically um, understood as being the student phase, in mm-hmm. the celibacy, etc. Um, but entering into the grahasta once I got married, etc., I was explained that one should contain uh, the brahmacharya mentality for life. Yes. Yes. Uh, that principle should remain for life. The principles by which you live by as a student should maintain throughout. And so, yeah, I totally vibe with what you're saying. Totally bad with what you're saying. The future of the Vedas, the future of Vedic teachings being imparted, not only in the Indian culture, but mass across the world to different cultures, including the American wide populace, is it's happening. You know, we we're we're, tr- we're seeing a whole wave of um, younger teachers mm-hmm. of people who are uh, writing in an accessible and relevant way. Mm-hmm. What do you see as the future, say, 50 years from now? What's your vision of 50 years from now of the Vedic way, in one sense?
0: Well, I feel that it's eternal. And the truth will always triumph. Wow. And that no matter how much appropriation goes on of it, no matter how much people misunderstand it, I don't really worry about that as much as I feel it's my honor and my responsibility and my duty to just... Here and now keep doing what I can to live by it, right? Like, not worry about what anyone else is doing because I just have so much trust in the power of the truth and in the eternal victory of the light over the darkness Mm. that I feel that these principles will continue to help seekers who are genuine find their way 50 years from now just as they have 50 years ago and 50,000 years ago. Mm. And actually, I want to come back to Chandraganta, who is the goddess you asked about, right? The one who lives in the third chakra, because I feel that she really awakens this power mm. to be able to overcome the darkness in the mind like no other. And on my first journey of Navaratri, I really felt this within myself because of having suffered from years of eating disorders and learning that, you know, Durga as Shailaputri Putri lives in the root chakra as Mother Nature, and then she becomes this goddess of how to harness our emotions and our senses so that we are the master versus the servant mm-hmm. of them through Brahmacharya. And when you have that foundation of groundedness and of Brahmacharya, then the fire gets activated in the third chakra, or the solar plexus, through Devi Devichandraganta and she is loaded with all kinds of weapons. Whereas Brahmacharini is holding the japamala which is a great weapon for yeah. overcoming the demons of the mind, along with the, um, the Kalash, the copper vessel that helps us purify our emotions with water. Then we have Chandraganta, who has all kinds of weapons, and she is connected with the fire element. Mm-hmm. And what I learned about her is that she empowers us to devour all forms of darkness, to devour grief, to devour our victim story, and to really understand that there is this sacred power that lives within our Agni as Mm -hmm. our sacred digestion. And what's happening at this chakra, once we've rooted ourselves and we've channeled our emotions, is that we can ignite that fire of transformation to be able to finally digest life's experiences, to digest our traumas, to also even digest food better, and to digest information. Because according to Ayurveda, all of this is so interconnected. And Agni is not just Jathar Agni, which is the fire of transformation in terms of physical digestion that helps us to digest our food, but it's also Gnana Agni. It's the higher understanding. right? And this is such an important point in the body and mind where we're connecting the higher chakras with the lower chakras. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of transformation that goes on here before we come into the feeling heart and all the higher self type of Mm -hmm. expressions. So this is where I really got to experience that fire and to really face the childhood traumas that I had gone through and to really transform my whole relationship with my parents, especially my father, Mm -hmm. and to be able to rewrite our whole intergenerational script in terms of how we handle pain and how Mm -hmm. we handle difficult emotions like anger. And I think that was huge for me because, as women and in Indian culture, and I think a lot of women in a lot of cultures, but I'll speak from where I'm coming from, we're told it's not okay to have anger. It's not okay to feel that because we're supposed to be doing what others need and making ourselves you know of service, which even on the spiritual path, we're needing to do that. But what happens when we don't consider our own emotions, when we don't digest our own emotions, when we don't digest, and be honest and accept what we have gone through and what we feel as a result of that, then it's really easy for those experiences and those traumas to become indigestion. And that indigestion is the root of so many different physical and mental imbalances, according to Ayurveda. So being able to go deep into those childhood memories, and one of the things I really struggled with as a kid was my dad having these family rules everyone was supposed to eat everything on the plate. Well, I was the only child, so really, it was only (laughs) for me. And I used to pray every day that, please, Mom, don't make eggplant, because my body couldn't handle it. And I learned much later on that eggplant's really not that well-suited for my constitution, according to Ayurveda. And I just... I really didn't have the ability to absorb it well. So I would get so afraid and so nervous, because then I would be forced to eat it, and I would just be in tears, and it was just, you know, a pattern, right? That then, if there's emotions, right, if there's anger, it's like, I don't have my choice to be Mm -hmm. able to be with it in a healthy way, you know? And I feel like that relationship with food, then, has always been really tricky because I feel there's so much of a connection between our emotions and our food mm-hmm. and our digestion and our acceptance of reality as it is. That that one thing then led me to internalize that kind of self-punishing behavior, you know, that in other circumstances and I would take my emotions out on food. And so looking at that through Ayurveda and really developing a healthier relationship with food, starting to see food as a friend, seeing food as a healing power, rather than my enemy, rather than something that I'm using to try to avoid myself and to avoid my feelings, Mm. was a huge breakthrough that then led me so deep into all these memories and all these experiences that then I was able to share with my parents and then they were able to also have their own kind of healing journey start to happen as a result of it. And it's just been one blessing then after another. And I feel like it was such a miracle to be able to have that kind of a dialogue. And Mm -hmm. I wrote about it in my book because I'm just so grateful for all the transformation that I went through to be able to voice what I felt, you know, and to be able to really consciously rewrite the script of our whole family dynamics and relationships so that we can really make it about healing and about love. And so there's a ritual, even with the copper vessel, with the water in it, called Sandhya Bandhanam. And that's a brahmacharya sadhana that we get from the second chakra. But I had invited my father to come to where I was studying, and actually did this ritual, the Sandhya Vandanam sadhana, with him, and it was deeply symbolic, because Sandhya Vandanam. Sandhya means a transition, and we do the sadhana at the dusk and dawn times, because that's when the sky is changing, right? From darkness to light and light to darkness. And Vandanam means gratitude. Mm. It means giving thanks. And so we want to really settle into gratitude as we make transitions to feel more grounded in the more uplifting emotions even Mm -hmm. as we're going through some challenges or difficulties because it's destabilizing anytime there's a change even of the night to day or the day to night there is some change that goes on so we always need more support during times of change and I also understood that this is a ritual that was traditionally practiced as an Upanayanam sadhana. Upanayanam meaning? Upanayanam is a naming ceremony that young children go through when they go to traditional gurukhols in India. And they receive a spiritual name to basically bring the highest truth into sight. And they are taught this ritual to be able to let go of the samskaras of their parents. And to be able to have the freedom to create their own destiny yeah. and their own karma, and so when we do this ritual, it's very simple. It's but it's very complex. It doesn't take very long, but there's a lot that happens when Not you do
1: consciousness it. unpacking.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it's cleansing with water, but it's also mantra, it's also pranayama, it's also consciously blessing all of the organs Ooh. of action and all of the senses before they're going out into the world to interact, right? So that we can really be contained within our armor of brahmacharya so that we're not overtaken by the inner demons, right? Or the outer demons, who are really just our own inner demons Mm -hmm. manifested outside. So it's a hugely, hugely symbolic sadhana, and it was so powerful to do that ritual and then to pour the water in a circle and to really consciously change that dynamic
1: I mean, it's so beautiful what you're sharing because it's so steeped in rich culture, rich rituals, richness, and uh, consciousness, if I may say. Um, And I'm just really trying to think about you that are listening to this right now. Maybe you've had experiences with this and you're connecting with us because of Ananta, or connecting with this because you have an intrigue about the different goddesses and the ways of the goddesses. I want to now turn to those who are Joe Blogs that haven't got, a, as, as we would say in the English colloquial, I haven't got a flipping clue what's going on. <laughs> right? They, they've maybe made it to this point at some point of the conversation, but they're really trying to see, okay, well, what is really my connection with this as someone that's not from the culture, mm-hmm. that has maybe heard a lot of jargon just now, and also <laughs> just also like connecting with this for the very first time. What is there in? What is the way in from which they can go, this can change my life right now because of, what would you say? I would say... A throw in you maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's really good. I would say that what the Way of the Goddess Path offers is an opportunity to relook at all the difficulties of your life through a new lens,
1: mm. which
0: is the lens of the spiritual hero that lives within
1: you. Wow.
0: And any practice, there are a lot of practices and a lot of rituals for each of the nine chakras in Even
1: the if you're not spiritual, the rituals of drinking coffee each day, <laughs> the rituals of brushing your teeth, the rituals of showering, the ritual of, you know, what do you read when you first go on your phone? What app do you open? Yeah. These are all rituals. So, They're all
0: rituals. They're habits, yeah. right? We're all creatures of habits. So ritual is just kind of like a little fancier way of saying a regular habit or a regular practice that you do. But these are basically practices that bring out the spiritual se- superhero in you, even if you don't think one lives within you. Mm. You'd be amazed at the kind of power that you will discover within yourself when you actually activate it by committing to doing anything that speaks to you. And that's actually what I go over in the first chapter of the book, which is about the practice of having a practice. Maybe no one has ever had Practice of
1: having a practice. I love that.
0: Right? Because it is. It's a new thing. And in the beginning, it's overwhelming. It's intimidating. It's scary. It's like, oh, my gosh, if I do this, then what am I going to be, right? Like, that whole sense of identity gets shattered yeah. because maybe we've hung our hat on this victim script, right? Like this all all bad stuff always happens right. to me. Or even nothing bad ever happens to right. me, right? But they're both kind of a mask covering up many different things within mm-hmm. us. And so it's actually very scary to even start that
1: Who idea. Who am I when all the masks that are not me are taken away? Yeah. You know? Spiritual practice, people think it's about becoming more peaceful and, becoming, yes, that, that has its place, but I feel like it's a byproduct of peeling away the layers. And I think spiritual practices, just like this, of awakening that, I love how you said it, this spiritual superhero within. I think that that's incredible because it means that it doesn't have to be painful because you're relying on a strength that's greater than you, that already exists within you.
0: Exactly. And yeah. that's what I would want people to know who are mm. listening, that everything you're looking for outside Everything already lives within you. Mm -hmm. And we've just forgotten that. We've been conditioned to not believe it's within us. We've been programmed to believe we have to search outside, we have to work, we have to grab, we have to, you know, eat a lot or not eat anything, or, you know, like, have a million followers or whatever it may be. But in actuality, the whole universe, and all the pleasure, all the abundance, all the joy, all the love, That you're ever wanting or looking for lives within you. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of ritual is simply to return to that inner power that lives within you. Even all the gurus that we see in the world that we look up to, leaders that are there, role models, what we need to know when we see such beings, and even goddesses, right? Gods and goddesses and all forms of the divine that are basically there to help us connect with something beyond name and form, are actually powers that live within us. And it's hard to believe that at first. And it's easy then, when we don't believe it, to give our power away to so much in life that takes us away from who it is we truly are. Mm -hmm. And when we see someone who inspires us, then instead of allowing the jealousy monster to take over and the comparisonitis to you know take its course, Those are cool names. <laughs> we can actually understand that whatever we see in the other is actually just revealing something that is waiting within us to be ignited.
1: Yeah, we don't see the world as it is; we see the world as we are.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so I just encourage people, you know, when reading the book or just, you know, listening to this, that if there's any one simple thing that you feel drawn to, that you might feel like, wow, who would I become? What would I become if I were to do this? Go with that, because that was my feeling when I first heard about this idea of Mm. chanting 108 mantras on the japa mala or the rosary beads, garland, every day. It's like, whoa, you know, like, I can't even imagine what that will lead to, you know, like, it's just like beyond my conception. Yeah. The truth
1: is though, we've been chanting me and mine, me and mine, me and mine, me and mine, <laughs> me, 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 mine, 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 me, 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 all day long anyway.
0: <laughs> Replacing the thoughts. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I have actually a lot of prompts and self-reflection questions, too, in each chapter of the book that have been really helpful for me to be able to take inventory of my own powers within my chakras. And that's something that's also very helpful, is even to ask ourselves questions. If nothing else, and, you know, people read this book, it will allow you to begin that dialogue within yourself to awaken that inner guru just by asking powerful questions Mm -hmm. to lead you to that. Journey of self-discovery. And that itself is a huge thing, because that's, like, the subtle intellect, you know? There's a difference between intelligence and intellect. A lot of times, people think they're the same. So the intellect is that which allows us to really become the master of our own destiny and to be able to not be a servant of the emotions and of the senses. And when we develop the intellect, we're actually developing our spiritual superhero abilities to really overcome a lot of the traumas that we go through, because it's all often rooted in a script of I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I don't deserve or something that we may have internalized Mm. based on bullying, based on abuse, based on trauma. Life experiences. Life experiences, yeah. And so... What this questioning gives us is the power to stop taking things for granted and to question everything in order to really get down to the essence of who we are. And that's a practice itself in the Mm. Vedanta tradition of neti-neti, not this, not this, right? Because we're not this. We're not this. We're not the voice that says we can't. We're not Mm. the voice that says we're not good enough. We're not the voice that says so many self-defeating things, that's not who we really are. That's just a projection of something A
1: projection of a projection of a projection, even.
0: Yeah. And those are the kind of demons that we're looking to destroy when we are uncovering the power of the warrior goddess within. And I also want to say that even though it's divine feminine, this lives within all beings of all genders, and I feel it's even maybe more important for those in male identifying bodies to really be able to connect with their divine feminine because it's just so needed in this world that has gotten so out of balance that we all need to be able to connect with that nurturing power within yeah. us that allows us to really give birth to a higher version of ourselves and to the liberated version of ourselves.
1: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Could you share a little bit about your own personal experience? Like, a really, I mean, off without getting too personal, a moment that you felt very connected to Durga Devi. I know you mentioned the rutry, and I know you mentioned the rituals, but is there a particular moment, a story in your life, where you feel this is a moment of where I felt really deeply connected with, with Devi?
0: Okay, are you ready? <laughs>
1: Got my seatbelt on. Let's do this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because, boy, when you invite Durga Devi, the warrior mother goddess, into your life and into your heart, the exact experiences of life, to be able to feel that power within, they come literally knocking at your door. Wow. And I actually had that experience of of being knocking on my door, and it was actually the most terrifying experience of my life. Really? Yeah. It was a, an experience of... going through being very controlled by someone outside who I had looked up to a lot and had sought guidance from and was I'm grateful for still, honestly. And I found that there was this power within to be able to feel the gratitude and also to be able to assert really healthy boundaries Mm -hmm. and not invite this energy in literally through the door to do whatever dark behaviors they were looking to do. When I had said no more, you know, I'm, I'm moving on on my journey. It's a lot of narcissistic rage, you know, whenever we set healthy boundaries as empaths with people who have these tendencies. It's not who they are. It's not a label because everyone is Atman. Everyone is a soul. And I was so afraid to say no. I was so afraid to leave. I was so afraid to take some time to integrate the things I had learned on my journey, even from this actual person. Everyone has divinity and demons within them. And in that day, A lot of the demons within this being were coming through the door. Wow. And I found that I was terrified. It was the scariest experience and day of my whole life. And yet, I found that my hands immediately went like this. And I, with the fear, with shaking, was telling myself a mudra, which is a hand gesture from the goddess tradition of fearlessness in the face of fear and really praying that this being would find their light. May you find your light. And just all these mantras that I had chanted for so many years prior on the Japa Mala, I literally chanted them through the door and was sending this light to the darkness through the door and just feeling so much power coming through me to be able to face this really, really scary, unexpected, situation of life with a kind of power I didn't know I had.
1: I want to know more. I I feel like this is... I'm I'm painting the picture in my mind. Wow.
0: It was intense. Yeah. It was very, very intense. And these same beings Uh had actually tried to stop the publication of my book, this book here, which is how I know that there's a lot of power in it. Anytime people are trying to stop something from being there, you know there's something in it. Mm -hmm. And again, that was my opportunity to really stand for truth and to tell myself, dharma, rakshati, rakshata, that's Sanskrit for the one who protects dharma, always gets protected by dharma. And I was so scared, but all this wisdom was coming through in that moment, and it was really like my awakening to the Guru within and finding that light within, to be able to see with clarity, to see with discernment, Mm -hmm. to see with compassion, you know? And to also see that that goddess lives within. Wow. So it was a very powerful day. It was a hard day, but it was a liberating day, and that's really what moksha is right it's kind of cute to sometimes say oh, i want to get moksha i want to get liberated i want to get it's enlightened not easy. right but then if you really mean that you're going to get these kind of experiences yeah this is a
1: christian proverb that so speaks close. to that this christian proverb which says uh, don't pray to god all day and then when when he takes you to the the uh, what's that the place where they make metal what's that place called the blacksmith mhm when, when God takes you to the blacksmiths to start hammering on the metal, don't start going, oh, I don't want the same I don't want the same I don't want the same yeah. So be really careful what you pray for. If yeah. so you really want to be liberated, <laughs> it's not going to be simple plain and simple sailing. No. You know, this peeling away of layers, the peeling away of that which is not. The uh, re- realization that we are spiritual by nature, it sounds really beautiful but the actual work that's required you know that's it's not something that happens with just the light beam shining on your face and it's a moment and that's it no it takes a lot of preparation a lot of conscious thought and practice and so very impressive very impressed do you have anything now that you've written the book because authors always have this uh anything that you wish was in there that's not in there
0: well this origin story right of the door you know, and me fighting the darkness was a story I originally wrote about in the book and it got removed from the book. Yeah. But I feel it's all divine orchestration. I feel that now by sharing it with you, it's the first time I'm really liberating that story. Wow. And it's important to do that because it's important for anyone who's ever been in any kind of bullying situation like that, of any kind of authority figure mm-hmm. in your life to know that you have this power of the divine within you, and it's something to be exercised with a lot of care, a lot of grace, a lot of humility, and a lot of practice, right? So it's not an easy path by any stretch of the imagination, but the power that these practices bring is really quite unparalleled. And I feel that this is an important experience and story to share now as what inspired, actually, me to write this book. Mm -hmm. Because I was having so many different kinds of experiences of so many different inner and outer demons right, that were approaching and coming to test me and test my resolve and make sure I'm really committed to moksha, right, that I'm committed to liberation for real. And I feel that after the book came out, I had so many of those. I had a car accident a year ago where it was really close in terms of being saved, right, by divine grace. And I had that book and my first book in my lap. And I was like, wow, I was spared by this accident of three different cars, one that flipped over. Holy moly. And I knew in that moment, I just felt this total acceptance of what is and so much gratitude that, wow, I survived this. And it's because I have this responsibility to empower people to know that these powers of the ancient wisdom exist within us. Mm. And then I had my Instagram account get hacked a little bit after that, and there was a photo of the probably the person who had hacked it wearing all black with chains and their hand in this hand gesture or mudra, which, as we know, is about, you know, about infinity. It's about transcending the three qualities of nature so that we are The person who
1: hacked it put a new display picture like this.
0: Yeah. With chains around their, their hand. And it was so symbolic to me that, wow, what an amazing image. They
1: didn't know what they were doing, like, when they did this?
0: Probably not. I wouldn't oh, think so. Oh. But it was just like... For oh, the chills. Wow, right? Yeah. That, like, we all have so many chains... And this is the meaning of moksha is to be able to free ourselves from the mental bondages, right? And the fear. And this was scary because they were asking for money to be able to give my account back to me. I had just moved into a new place. It was unfamiliar surroundings and then suddenly my most important online asset thing was gone, right? And I needed to pay for it. After Three weeks of a lot of sadhana and a lot of learning about cyber security right. to be like a warrior goddess on the internet. And I laugh, but like it was real. It was like a real education for three weeks about every day, like hours on end, like protecting all the things. But then, yeah, I was like, oh, this is also very liberating to know that, you know, we're not dependent upon anything mm. external, right? And also, let's get people's emails because they're easier to copy and to, you know, hold on to and to be able to stay in touch that way. But it also just, every experience just reaffirms that, oh, I went through that, oh, okay, you know, it's okay. We can do that. We can get hacked. We can protect ourselves. We can learn new things. We can develop new skills. We can actually take every hardship as an opportunity. And Mm -hmm. that's really the message of this. That every hardship can be an opportunity for our awakening. And that's mm. actually the epithet that I began the book with, the Sarva Mangala Mangali Mantra, which basically means I salute the Divine Mother who represents total auspiciousness and who fulfills the desire for liberation. Realization arises with her blessing. She is the world itself. Only through the experiences of life can the soul get perfected. Honor this gift, your life. Bow to Mother Nature. And I have had to do that and continue to do
1: that. Yeah, be careful what you write about, eh?
0: I know. (laughs) It becomes
1: a reality and then you have to live it to prove the thesis. Wow. Is there anything that you wish uh, from the book that would Perhaps, we live in a world where that's always eternally in turmoil. Yeah. You know, eternally. And I think, you know, even if we recorded this podcast a year from now, I can guarantee we could still say we're in a heated, political, global situation where we're war-torn, mm-hmm. divided, polarized. We could we could do this eternally, because like, that's just the nature of the material world in one sense. Yeah. Um, but is there anything that you wish to share with someone, maybe that's listening to this, that is in a really dark place right now here? Um, that could help them immediately, perhaps as a ritual, perhaps it's something that, um a practice perhaps, that you, that you hold a sadhana, that you hold dear to your heart, that can immediately bring someone towards light. Is there anything of that sort that you'd like to share? Maybe it's a practical thing, maybe it's a mudra, maybe it's a mantra, anything that you can help, anything that can help a person who's experiencing real darkness right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of practices that come to mind, I feel, that it's very, very helpful to actually simply light a candle, Mm -hmm. light a lamp, because in the act of lighting that lamp, you are actively dispelling darkness and reminding yourself of what already lives within you, even if you can't see it. It's also like, what happens anytime you wake up early enough. And yes, this is also a great practice, which will immediately help to reduce some of the darkness in the mind.
1: To rise early, you mean?
0: To rise early and actually watch the changing of the darkness to the light. Because when we see that phenomenon of the sky changing its colors, even if it's not bright sunshine Mm. that day, just the act of seeing that transition from darkness to light, is a reminder to the psyche, really, really deep down inside, that just as you may be experiencing darkness right now, the light is always there, even though it might be covered by clouds. And the third practice that I would suggest very strongly is a very simple mantra in English, to simply tell yourself, I am a powerful being. Over and over and over again. I did this mantra so much during that whole period of time when I had to deal with all kinds of dark forces, including outside my door. That was kind of the grand finale of so much else that
1: You mean literally outside your door, by the way, right? Yeah,
0: literally. like Someone my,
1: trying to enter your house.
0: Yeah, my community where I lived was gated. Okay. And they had broken in, basically, through the
1: But they were gates. a mentor figure to you as well? Wow.
0: And that's the ultimate, right? Because when we can accept darkness and light, both as catalysts for awakening, and not see one as better than the other, a Mm. lot of awakening can indeed come through. And we have to keep steadfast to the path, right? We can't allow our journey to get caught into preferential attachments for any one figure or person in our life, right? Whether that be a family member, whether that be a friend, a lover, partner, whoever it may be. Incidentally, I went through two deaths of people very close to me this year. And it's always just such a reminder that the way we know we're progressing on this path and what we need to aspire for on the spiritual path is not the rainbows and the butterflies and all this kind of like new age sort of stuff. like That's a byproduct. Nice nice experiences to have, you know. But what we really want to go for is our spiritual north star and our signal that all is going well on the spiritual path is how much can we let go of? How much can we trust in what is the connection between souls? Right? And how much can we also remember that even in those who hurt us, or who wish ill upon us, a soul also lives within them, that lives within us. Mm. And can we see that oneness, even as we need to put our hands into the gesture of fearlessness Mm. and set some healthy boundaries, right? Mm. So that balance between healthy boundaries and forgiveness and love, I feel is so important, because I think sometimes on the spiritual path, we're so much into bhakti, we're so much into Prema, like, divine love and compassion and feeling the oneness of all beings. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, but it makes a lot of seekers quite vulnerable to then getting really brutally attacked by mm. people who can easily take advantage of that. Mm. So you have to have the lotus of compassion in one hand, like how the goddess has, and a sword in the other, mm. because we just don't know what's outside our door.
1: Yeah, it's discernment. It's like, yeah, exactly how you said, like when we talk about bhakti, when we talk about prema and that love of divinity and love of God, that it doesn't mean that you then give up your intelligent discernment as well, you know, to know, okay, material world is a place of suffering. Ultimately, it's a place where you're going to experience some dark forces. So knowing how to be yeah, placing faith in the right places, not just blindly. I think that, that that's for me, like, I take people on retreat, I take people mm-hmm. on all these different adventures of, of God-consciousness, hopefully. And along that way, I try to instill within them that don't now lower your guard and, and go, okay, everything is great, everything's wonderful. I'd still be discerning about where you're placing your trust and your faith. And um, even though that verse, while you were speaking about letting go, that verse in the Gita about Sarva Dharman let let go of all these different varieties of shelters. Mam ekam and then take shelter, Mam Ekam in me, in that one shelter. Sharanam uh, Ahamtam Sarva all the other things will be you know, taken care of. All the other that's fully uh, uh, the highest position to be fully surrendered mm-hmm. to that divinity, that all encompassing light, Krishna, God, whatever that name is for you but to all the time still be discerning about, well, is this relationship, is this conversation, is this path uh, getting me towards that? Or is it just binding me down in some way, shape or form? And so, yeah, the path doesn't necessarily even need to be obviously spiritual. Like You could Mm -hmm. have a path which is being on the, the consumerist path, you know, receive money, spend money, that's also a path. Yeah, You know, there's a path that you've chosen to take on in this lifetime. But am I choosing to go, I want to take a different path? And that path still you need to be descending the whole way. You know, each and every point, even at this point of my, I don't know if you would call it spirituality, but mm-hmm. whatever I'm on right now, mm-hmm. I'm still discerning each and every place I go that, is this someone I can confide in just because they have a shika just because they wear robes, mm-hmm. just because they come from a world, perhaps, that they speak particular jargon, mm-hmm. does that mean that they are more spiritually potent? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. And I think that that's not to completely diss and, and destroy institutions, yeah. spiritual institution. That still has its place too. Yes. You know, respect for when I go to any temple, whether it be a temple, even a mosque, a church, etc., of course, head low, bow down, be humble etc mm-hmm. because ultimately you'll learn something. Yeah. But the 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 other side of it is uh, to not just place faith blindly, blind exactly. faith. And so, yeah, I love what you're doing. I think it's incredible the way of the goddess is it's I know it's already a bestseller, but may it continue to go far and wide. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your truth with us, but I do want to do some quick fire round questions. Okay. You up for it?
0: fire it away. All right. We just talked about the goddess who embodies the element of fire. So <laughs> I'll be channeling goddess Chandrakata as we do this.
1: Please keep her at bay. I'm a little bit afraid.
0: <laughs> yeah. They say that you have to be very cautious yeah. of her darshan, right? Because just seeing her will <laughs> set all kinds of flames.
1: It's about going. to go down. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Question number one. What's something you're curious about in your life right now?
0: I think I'm curious about
1: it. One word, one sentence-ish.
0: Surprises.
1: Mm. Curious about surprises. (laughs) Just for you, coming through the door right now, I'm joking. (laughs) 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 Question number two. What's something you're personally working through at the moment?
0: I would say... I'm working through reconciling divine surrender with practical sustainability.
1: Sounds like a lifetime goal. Yeah. (laughs) Far out, though. I'm into it. I'm into it. Question number three. In short, what legacy would you like to leave behind in this world?
0: That's something I think about a lot. I think about, I've thought about a lot, especially this year, in losing beloved teachers.
1: Sorry, could you repeat that?
0: In losing some beloved
1: beloved teachers. teachers, Yeah, you've been thinking about Losing
0: their physical body. Right. I found that their spirit guides me even more so now.
1: Nirvani, their instructions, the teachings.
0: Yeah, and the love continues on. Mm. And that is incredible to feel the legacy of someone's pure, unconditional love. And that's the legacy I feel drawn to embody and carry forward.
1: Beautiful. In
0: anything I do and everything I do.
1: Wow. Maybe. Question number four. Something you used to deeply value, but don't value as much anymore.
0: Ooh. Something I used to deeply value, but don't value as much anymore, is actually the physical presence of beloved beings. It's not that I don't value it. It's just that I have had these powerful experiences of discovering that connection Mm. between souls that outlives the body. And I feel that that's the most important thing to really surrender to, rather than anything that can take us into the space of attachment and craving or longing for someone's physicality, to really just look within the heart and trust and know and feel that presence already there. Mm. And to trust that whoever we've loved, however it may have ended in a physical sense or material sense, that that love never dies. Mm. And to really learn to tune into that rather than seeking the physical and seeking that presence in a physical sense, has been a really, really wonderful experience of shifting.
1: Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. And the final one, if you could create one law that everyone had to follow, <laughs> what would it be?
0: One law that everyone would have to follow Yep. would be that all the babies in preschool and kindergarten yeah. would learn the law of karma.
1: Wow!
0: Because this single law will empower all souls to Yang. be highly conscious of what they think, mm. what they say, and what they do. When we know the repercussions of everything we think, everything you're more aware we speak,
1: about what you're doing,
0: everything we do, we're definitely gonna have a different experience of life.
1: Wow, that'd be far out. <laughs> if I ever become prime minister, we should talk.
0: I'm ready. Okay. I'll supply the curriculum.
1: <laughs> Likewise, if you ever become Prime Minister, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be really cool. Thank you so much, Ananda. I really appreciate you being on this podcast. Thank you so much for your um, your relevant, accessible truths for sharing so honestly and so kindly. And yeah, doing it with a smile, it always adds a nice, uh, charming charisma. Thank you so much. And yeah, praying and hoping that your message goes far and wild, wide because I think it's really powerful and it can really create a consciousness of transformation in the world. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. This has been such a special time and I really appreciate what you're doing to spread the love of Kirtan and really connecting with the divine in the heart. Just so beautiful and so needed. And actually singing devotional songs is a practice that I encourage in the Heart Chakra chapter.
1: (laughs) What chapter is that? I'm (laughs) gonna read that, number four. I'm reading that tonight. Thank you so much, Ananta. And for each and every one of you that's joined us, thank you so much. Go and check out the book, The Way of the Goddess. I'm sure it'll be a good read. If you found that it's um, useful, if you find there's any questions, reach out to Ananta. I'm sure she'd be very, very happy to connect with you. And uh, yes, yeah, see you on the next episode of A Soul Sake. Sending you all lots of love. Namaste. Adipal. If you love this episode, you'll love my interview with Keisha on serving others and how our life gets ironed out in the process. Go check it out.
0: When I have managed to find that selflessness, that sense of it's really not about me, but I'm really here as a servant to give, then I found two things happen. The first thing is that our ability to actually really serve others um, just expands exponentially.